You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Mikkel Drücker, the CEO at Netigate. Maybe I keep referring to dating, right? But I think it is like going on a date, right? So you want to show the best of your, of your abilities. You want to show the best sides of yourself and uh, you want to leave uh, wanting them to know more. Hello there and welcome to another episode of the SAS Nordic podcast. Happy that you are with us yet another time and I hope that you will enjoy this episode. And Daniel, one week left until SAS 2023. Are you enjoying yourself? I am. I am. I mean, it's like, yeah, if you've never ran an event... You cannot imagine <laughs> how many loose ends there are the last week. Yeah. Uh, but nothing surprising, nothing devastating. It's all what you can expect if you've. Uh, luckily, this is the second time we do this, so yeah. we knew some of these things would happen. And even if it's exhausting, it's such an adre- adrenaline rush yeah. uh, every day. So um, yeah, it's really fun. But also, it's gonna be be great to be able to relax hopefully here in uh, in 10 days or so yeah exactly not speaking to anybody from the 20th onwards for like three four days <laughs> need, need some time for myself so what can people look forward to at sassiest here in a week great question it's two things that stand out with our event one is information the vast access to information that you will get from all the speakers and the sessions you know it's a shortcut to your success so make make sure to leverage that the second thing is the networking the best way for you to learn is by sparring with your peers with people that have done it and as you probably have seen we've opened up the networking umbrella so let's make sure that you get in on the action, start booking your meetings and so on. But that's, you know, that's one of the things, you know, the, the information that you have access to and the networking that you have access to. The second thing is the social aspect around this. There's a lot of fun activities and we believe that you got to work hard, but you also got to play hard. So there's going to be lots of activities, uh, both Physical activities, if you're into running, paddle, or stuff like that, sporting activities, or yoga, if you're really flexible and want to stretch. But there's also activities around drinking alcohol. <laughs> like, there's going to be a party. <laughs> That's also an activity. There's going, to be, there's going to be great music, there's going to be great DJs, and sometimes the best of the conversations actually happen, all jokes aside, but actually happen during these social events when people are, you know, off duty, so to say. Absolutely. And, and if you're staying the night as well, you can hang with us, going to the casino, having a burger and a beer, and then play cards as a nice roundup of the conference. And you mentioned content. We have some really great speakers, uh, many from across the Nordics here from our community, but we also have invited some really good international speakers, our keynote, April Dunsford, that is the queen of positioning. She is really good. You can't miss that. So make sure to be on time on Tuesday morning when she... She opens the the conference. Yes, and I think there's a first one, first one in the world here. So you may have seen that April Dunford is releasing a new book. Yeah. And she just started taking like pre-orders for that book. 
she's going to do a first pitch from one of two or three of those chapters at the event. Okay. So like, it's a world premiere. You don't want to miss that. Enough of the self-promotion here. Hopes to see you guys there. And um, let's move on with this episode. Let's see where it takes us. Today, we are very happy to have Mikkel Dricker, the CEO at NetGate, here as a guest in the SAS Nordic podcast. So welcome, Mikkel. Thank you, Thomas. And hi, Daniel. Hey, nice to have you here. And you are a familiar face in, in our community. You've been part of our CEO network for a couple of years now. So we, we, we got to know you a little bit there. But for the ones that might not know Mikkel, who are you? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> so right now I'm sitting at home. So first and foremost, I'm a family man, um, wife and three kids. I live in Denmark, um, have been in tech and uh, SaaS business for many years now, uh, internationally and, and the last four years in, in uh, Sweden. Like many other men in my age, I like uh, you know the sports that uh, it, it it's weird. The sport become more and more dangerous the older I get for some reason. <laughs> it's a way to feel alive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and I guess my my day is filled with. Um, I travel a lot. Um, we have offices across uh, uh, the continent here, and I'm in, in Copenhagen, so I'm, uh, I'm bound to spend some time on on planes and and cars and bikes and you know wherever it takes to get. You, you know, like that. You're gonna have to tell us a little bit about this dangerous sport. What is that dangerous sport? Well, I, I wouldn't say it's dangerous, but I mean more and more speed, more and more speed on the road and in the forest on the bike. Uh, skiing has become more and more uh, off the piste than on the piste, and um, I've, I recently took up diving, which which doesn't seem very dangerous but when you're down there um yeah it 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 can be quite uh, interesting yeah i'm gonna say something now and i mean this in the best possible way for everyone listening to this i think i'm starting to see a trend ceos of SaaS companies that we have on the podcast here they have two things in common they probably have even more but everybody seems into be into biking and everybody wears a Patagonia vest. <laughs> no, no, no. Not the nice CEO uh, at SaaS companies. That's the investors. No, no. You have to, Thomas, you'll be surprised. Okay. Mikkel, do you own a Patagonia vest? I do not. No. No, of course he does. <laughs> I have some other vests, but not Patagonia. No. Yeah. Okay. But um, what can you tell us about Netigate, Mikkel? What do you guys do? Netigate, we are in uh, the EX and CX space. So um, yeah, that's a very large market, uh, tons of players. What we specifically do is we help our customers uh, find value out of out of the out of their employees and and uh, customer voices. So we do that through feedback management and through insights. So essentially, helping companies uh, listen to their customers and employees and and do something about it. All right. Nitigate is a. Uh, it's a rather old company, I think. In 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 this context, we started in two thousand and five. Yeah, as a consultancy, small consultancy gig, um, and uh, for many years, actually up until two years ago, profitable uh, and and um, with growing with the market and. Um, 
now we're not profitable. Now we're investing in growth instead and uh, trying to 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 to, to uh, grow faster than the market, which is an interesting exercise. And um, how fast is the market growing? The f- yeah, it, you know how fast is it growing? Uh, you know, it depends on what report you're looking at. The number I have in my head is twenty percent. Yeah, uh, so we're very fortunate to be in a in a fast growing market and. Uh, EX grows uh, roughly at the same pace as CX, so we're we're fortunate to be in those two good markets. Um, but it's also a market that's packed with large American uh, conglomerates and um, and international companies that have sort of uh, quite large wallets. So you have to be smart and. Um, and do things differently, you know. David and Goliath, I think many, many uh, in my situation face that challenge. Okay, right. So, who's your ideal customer? We are focused on uh, the mid market, um, and uh, I, I define mid market between um, 100 and 200 employees. Um, and uh, I think these days it's difficult to assess a, a revenue to that. But since we are in EX, the employee count is important for us. Um, EX, you know, there are quite uniform challenges in EX, uh, you know, related to how do you keep engagement with your employees and how do you, you know, work with your development of your employees, etc. In CX, it's quite different. So in CX, we are more verticalized. So we're focusing on health industry. We're focusing on finance and banking industry as examples, um, because you know the journeys in the customer journeys are very different in in different um, industries. So we have to be more targeted there on CX. Cool. All right. Let's put some numbers on your business. Uh, you know, everybody wants to know like who am I listening to here? So to, so to put things in perspective, like how big is your operation in terms of ARR and in terms of employees? Hmm? So we are approaching 17 million um, in AR euros in AR um, and um, uh, have been growing uh, 16% CAGR for the last 10 years or so, uh, faster the last couple of years, obviously. Right. Um, and um, uh, we're about 150 employees, 151 last time I checked, uh, based um, in five different offices in Europe. Yeah. We are serving 1,475 customers across uh, 20 markets, roughly. Wow, that's impressive from, from two perspectives, like the amount of customers and that you know the actual amount of customers. <laughs> I, 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 I'm pretty active in, in the forecasting and, the, and those kind of things. So I'm, uh, yeah, it's a key number to look at, right? Um, but um, yeah, I'm really happy with the number as well, especially when it goes up. and. Um, we have, uh, for, for a small company like ours, I think compared to some of our competitors that are, you know, truly large cost of, you know, uh, companies, we have great brands that I'm proud of. So I think, uh, you know, again, it's not the size, it's the value that you deliver. So which are the, 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 the regions or the countries that contribute to the majority of the revenue? Yeah, we have about 40%, 38% of our uh, uh, ARR that comes out of DACH. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then we have uh, about 48, 50% that comes out of Nordic. So, uh, so those are our two large red markets and large focus areas. Um, and, uh, and then the rest is gathered in UK, um, Southern Europe, uh, some in the US and other places. Okay. 
Cool. And you mentioned here a little bit earlier that, you know, until recently, a couple of years back ago, like you guys were profitable and so on. And then it, it sounded like, you know, you took in some money and decided to invest in, in growth. How is this operation funded today? Today we are. Um, today we have a majority owner in um, a PE. Uh, so that's how we are. They are funding our transformation from uh, what I would say startup, um, burning cash to uh, a scale up, a profitable scale up. So that's the journey that we embarked on, probably mid mid last year. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, we were privately owned. Um, with actually very little cash injection over the years, uh, as I mentioned before, profitable. And then um, in late 2020, uh, decided to um, embark on a new journey, uh, which uh, both from a product perspective, but also from a sort of market perspective. And that required um, that required a higher investment and a high capital need. So that's why we slowly moved into um, to the PE. Right. But did you start the growth journey before you got the PE in or was it when they came on board? Yeah, we did. We, we, we started with the growth journey. I, I um, The previous board we had um, uh, were uh, you know, very passionate and, and uh, at the same time hungry about the business and the market and, and obviously saw that we could do more than we did from a growth perspective. <clears throat> and also realized um, when I started um, early 21 that um, uh, there are certain things you need uh, in in order to grow from a from a competence perspective and from a um, an organizational perspective and certainly also from a product perspective. So um, it was clear that we couldn't do that without um, without investing and. Um, Initially, that was um, sort of funded by by the existing shareholders, and then we realized that the plan uh, would require more capital, and then we started that journey. How, how much capital was that that you brought in at that time? Uh, well, initially, we, um, we we were funded by our our sort of majority owners, so that was in the sort of 10th, 10, 20 type of million uh, investment. Um, mm-hmm enough to uh, hire critical resources um, and enough to our main focus was essentially on the product right um, and um, after after 15 years you you do pick up some legacy and you do pick up some some uh, some stuff that that prevents you from moving fast and um, so our approach was on investing on a, a more scalable platform that would be sort of less um, less dependent on the old hacks right so um, that required quite a lot and um, and then after that uh, it was sort of commercial organization focus and and that's where we decided to bring in a, a PE that could also help us internationalize and and um, and in the MA side yeah all right so we have talked a bit about PEs here and private equity so for the ones that are not familiar at all with this term because we're going to talk more about what it, how it is to be um, owned by these kind of companies. What is a PE? Yeah, yeah, a great question. Uh, PE is private equity. Uh, it's a uh, it's 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 a company that looks to invest in established businesses uh, that need help. So typically, uh, a private equity uh, will have a a large fund of money that have been built by 
large financial uh, institutes uh, and larger investors. And that fund is then deployed uh, by investing in companies that have longer term uh, large growth and scalability potentials. PEs are typically looking for majority ownership, which is which is a little bit in contrast perhaps to VCs. Uh, and then they typically do fewer investments. Um, so that's what I would say is a PE. All right. Okay. I also was wondering, we've heard the phrase that there are active versus passive PEs. What, what does that mean? So I don't know what you've heard, but what I what I feel is that there are that there are sort of very operational PEs, uh, and then there are the PEs that that uh, have a yardstick away from from the operations. Operational PEs are um, uh, PEs that prefer to be more hands on on the on supporting the operations. Because they typically invest in companies that need help. Right. Uh, there are, and, and typically the help that is needed is in the commercial engine. You know, how do you define a scalable sales process? How do you build uh, an inside sales organization? How do you fix your lead engine? You know, commercial challenges like that. Right. So they would then offer project management resources, et cetera, to, to facilitate or support that. So that's what I would call an operational PE. Uh, a non-operational PE would be here's 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 some money. Uh, let's meet at the next board meeting and we can align on the plan and how you how you how you're trending. Yeah, and is your a passive or an active based on this definition? We have we have a an active an operational PE, and 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 that was by choice. All right. Talking about choices, why did you choose uh, the PE route rather than? going with a VC with a minority ownership or, or some other kind of financial uh, solution for your company? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I would say very honestly that that f- from day one, we were not quite sure what we were looking for. Um, and um, so it, it our, our search started with a realization that the existing ownership would have limited funds and perhaps also limited uh, ability to open networks and other things. And uh, and therefore, uh, our uh, search started with, hey, let's find someone that can uh, be on, can join our journey, can join with cash, but can also open doors and, and very importantly, also help us acquire other companies. Uh, since we also at that time was an established company, um, the, the VC part uh, was sort of um, not necessarily that interesting because I also personally needed uh, an operational PE because I feel uh, having that support, having that ability to draw on best-in-class uh, competences from the outside um, uh, is and was important to me. So then the choice was really... Uh, quite quickly identify that PE makes sense and then it's more about what what type of PE in terms of uh, you know location is it important that uh, your partner is in the same time zone in the same country or does that not matter is it important that the PE has knowledge of what you do or does that not matter is it important that the PE has B2B SaaS experience or does so there's more choices like that right and um we essentially uh, hired first i took like 30 calls with you know it's it's crazy when when the word gets out you get so many inbounds uh from peas all over the world that wants to talk to you 
So I had a lot of calls and and got a sense of uh, first of all learn to pitch Netigate, which is um, uh, in the end I got fairly good at. And um, but but it's also really interesting to hear very quickly. It's like any other relationship, you know. Quickly, you know, are you interested in the business or not? Are you interested in what we do or not? And I was very adamant that whatever partner I found, they had to be interested in what we do and in our market and have a passion for that. Otherwise, because it's even now, it's quite easy to find money. Uh, but but finding a partner that's interested in what you do was essential for us. All right, but these different things that you mentioned—the geography and if they, you know, worked with SaaS and so on—which things of these, um, you know, ended up being vital for your decision? We took we took an intermediate step, which which was to hire an investment bank uh, to help us with the process. Uh, so. Um, And and even that was a process, right? Because uh, we needed to find the right bank that also had the right relationships and and to some extent also knew the market. And we were actually just about to go with the US-based investment bank um, before we decided, hey, the proximity uh, and the closeness to to the market, the core market is, is important. So we chose... Um, An international bank lo- local in in Stockholm, so Hulihan Loki, and um, and through that bank, uh, you know, having done hundreds of acquisitions, of course, they were quite. They also helped us in the process of identifying, you know, this or that. All right. And so, you know, it, in the end, uh, it's like any other relationship. It, there needs to be chemistry. There needs to be, you know, a win-win. And uh, and then sort of second tier criteria were practical things like hey I don't want to travel uh, too far to see the person, uh, but but it was really uh, chemistry and 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 win win on on competences that was the first level priority. Okay, so it sounds like me that geography played a role, but when it came to experiences within B 2 B SaaS, was that a you know a must? In this case, or did you end up with a PE that had that experience? No, no, that was a must uh, as, as well. And, and I think, like anything else, if you spend too much time educating and you have to spend too much time and energy on convincing, it's just you know you you're not getting anywhere. So uh, yeah, very important to find at least for us someone with that knowledge. Hmm. Yeah, and I also wanted to ask you like. In all these coffee meetings, or whether it is in person or it's in online, like, what did you show the PEs? Like, you know, what is it that they're looking for to find out? What are the numbers or information about the organization for them to feel like this makes sense to start looking into? Uh, the reason why I ask is that Thomas and I worked for an organization that went through this PE exercise, and the CEO whom I reported into, he had one day. 18 of these meetings like the poor guy was like completely shot at six o'clock when he came out it was like i don't know 20 minutes each repeating the same thing and like what do you show them initially what do you tell them what do they want to know well i i mean i maybe i keep referring to dating right but i think it is like going on a date right so you want to you want to f- Uh, show the best of your of your abilities. You want to show the best sides of yourself, and uh, you want to leave uh, wanting them to know more. Right. So uh, what I focused on was essentially two or three questions: like, is there a market? 
Uh, is there a fast-growing market? Uh, is there a, uh, a strong need for, for what we do? And do we have a differentiated product? Yeah. And uh, those were the three elements that I, <clears throat> excuse me, that I focused on and, um, and uh, not so much on sort of the usual SaaS metrics and everything else. For me, that was more like, actually, that was the last slide I have in the deck. By the way, our NRR looks like this and our card looks like this. For me, for me, the approach was more to, to get them convinced that this was an interesting business with a, with a really interesting growth perspective. What was the most common question you got back? Um, initially, probably related to how do you differentiate? Right. Okay. Um, probably more than anything. And how much in this early stage of the dating, so to say, how much pitching does the investment bank do or they just make sure you get the meetings yeah so how, how the process works is that so i did all the initial uh, outreaches and then when we decided to do a a, a process through julian loki we um we let them take over so they essentially uh, build a, a pitch deck right. uh, with our input uh, that took uh, some time and then we went to market which was was a controlled uh, effort from them they obviously had a lot of contacts and then they did the initial screening, uh-huh. uh, so which was which is the reason why you hire a, an investment bank, right? They, they they cost a lot of money, right? But they also save you a lot of time, and in the end, hopefully, drive a higher valuation. Um, but they did the initial screening, and then then I probably did probably did ten pitches. Okay. Uh, in in the sort of uh, in the first round, and then we narrowed it down, and then I did five, and then I did you know. So it helped me a lot, and um, and uh, but that's what they that's what they paid for, right? Yeah. What's the percentage that an investment bank takes? I can't give you a specific number, but uh, it would typically be around one to three four percent of the transaction value. Yeah. Okay, so they they work on percentage. Um, yeah, good for them. All the fixed fee, but but um, typically. Um, yeah, related to transaction value. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My Newsdesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My Newsdesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. And obviously bringing on uh, new owners probably changes a little bit in uh, uh, the board and some of the structures, you know, all the way at the top. Like, what can you tell us? What was the big difference when you brought in a PE? How did that affect your board? Well, the obvious answer is that the, 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 the composition of the board changed. So we had um, previously had three board members, uh, four board members, three of those left. Uh, and we got um, two new initially from the PE. Uh, and then um, just recently we got a, um, an independent uh, chairperson in. So uh, today we are actually a small board of, of, of four pe- people uh, plus a, um, 
um, yeah, what do you call that? An observer, a board observer. Okay. Uh, how did it change? I think uh, maybe a different way to answer that question is uh, how how did my relationship change to to the board, or how 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 did I then change the way I managed the board? Right. So previously, I had you know my boss, uh, the the chairperson, and uh, he and I would meet and talk uh, daily or or very frequently. And um, then he would, you know, ensure that the other board members were aligned and um, it was a sort of a quite straightforward forward setup. In the new setup, of course, uh, there is an additional stakeholder. Uh, so there is the board uh, chair, chairman that I report to uh, today, but then there is the PE. So there is a different dynamic where it is, of, of course, important for me that I understand that, that dynamics and I uh, really manage uh, expectations both uh, towards the chairperson but also towards the PE and that, that we make sure that we don't have two different agendas but we have one business agenda. Uh, so I, I think we've, we've, we've managed that quite well, actually. Uh, but, but it is, from, from my perspective, um, I just need to make sure that there are more stakeholders that I need to uh, entertain and, and manage expectations from. Yeah, exactly. And I, you're, you're touching upon it a little bit. And now I'm asking because we've heard this from other individuals where the board becomes somebody you just report into. It's, you know, it sounds like some people, unfortunately, it's one-way traffic. It's, I hate to say it, but it sounds like a pain in the neck sometimes. I just need to, you know, there's a board meeting, let's take one week here to prepare what we're going to tell them like how do you ensure that you get the value you need as a ceo from the board as well rather than just you just reporting into them right i mean there's always going to be a, a, a part of of this that is reporting which is also the nature of a board uh, and the responsibility of a board um but um, the way we've approached this is is through a, a board wheel. Uh, so we have um, six, seven meetings a year, and there are sort of standard topics, and then there are deep dives. And the deep dives could be uh, people deep dive. Uh, we had that in in March, uh, sorry February, and that helps me a lot because in in Q1 anyway, that's where you do uh, performance assessments, appraisals, salary adjustments, all those things. So that was very timed to that activity. Um, we have a, an April board meeting coming up where the focus is on on customer success. Uh, so there are there are these themes um, which helps me because uh, obviously I gave input to those themes because what I'd like is that the deep dive helps me in the work that I'm doing already. And then I get a um, get sparring and, and sign off on 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 from the board. So so I think if you have an, the potential to align your strategic execution with the board meetings, I think it's very healthy. And then it then it doesn't feel like you have to sit and prepare for two weeks. Obviously, there's a lot of preparation that goes into this. Uh, but uh, if it's on uh, issues that um, you're already working on, then uh, it becomes very relevant at the same time. Right. One thing we've done and set up is um, 
in, and, and that's also in order for our board meetings not to be too operational we have uh, operational touch points uh, on a weekly basis so we have a quick meeting uh, 30 to 60 minutes every week where we essentially just go through operational stuff and align on that and i think it's also a part of working with an operational pe that that there is a need uh, for for the pe to understand what's going on in the in the machine room and uh, and that is my way to be 100% transparent on that uh, and that is my approach in general with with people but in particular with PEs that full transparency is the way forward if you sit and and hold information back or anything else it becomes a very unproductive relationships some people have probably heard me say this uh and I think he was joking about it but uh many many years ago I reported into a gentleman that said Dan, if you ever become a CEO, you need to treat your board as mushrooms. I was like, what does that mean? You keep them in the dark and feed them shit. Mm. I, I'm, not, I'm not, <laughs> not, not recommending that to anybody here, but uh, it sounds like that's not what you're doing. You're, you're not keeping them in the dark and feeding them shit. No, I think uh, I, I really can't see why that would work. <laughs> Bad advice. Fire that advice, Daniel. <laughs> I, I have another question here. So... Uh, I mean, the PE generally they own the majority, and in your case, how much do they own? Yeah, they are, they are clearly majority owners. Oh, like fifty plus percent then. Yeah. Okay, and they are also operators. So, um, isn't there a risk that they go in a little bit too operationally and put their fingers in everywhere because they are also operational in different parts? How, how that dynamic is? Can that be a problem? Or absolutely, a hundred percent. And the the way we have. Uh, approach this is um, and therefore actually the timing we signed uh, with them and closed in August last year so that was a perfect timing going into then building a strategy together um, and so I think if you have a strategy with well-defined must-win battles or well-defined focus areas then you already have like a recipe for for where should the focus be mm. And uh, so that's a big part of it, and 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 um, I think in that process they were guiding, uh, but more supporting. Uh, so I, I I feel that the strategy that we have today was built by the Netigate team, and uh, but but supported by by our PE. So that was a good dynamic. Okay. Um, obviously, a lot of pushing and a lot of challenging, which I think is healthy. Uh, but going into execution, then uh, how do we then make sure that we stick to that plan and not do tons of other things uh, because um, of the operational focus? And um, sometimes you can't plan for everything, right? So, um, so what we planned for in November last year are still true to a large extent, but then the world changes, and, and in particular, the world has changed since November. So. Um, then you need to relate to 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 the you know to the current part of the situation and i do get ideas from from the pe on hey why don't we look at this and that and and of course my role is to make sure that that the operation can manage and that we can actually execute on our strategy and our priorities and that it doesn't become too much so for me it's also very much a facing time timestamp facing issue when you go into things, you you know everything looks great on PowerPoint, and then you do this first and that, and and in reality, it's sometimes different. So it's very important that I listen to 
you know, what I hear in the organization, I see the results, I see the leading indicators, and then based on that, figure out if we have an optimal way of timestamping our activities. And then then it's a healthy conversation back and forth. Hey, we're doing too much. Hey, we have room for more. Um, but I never feel that, hey, you have to do this. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't experienced that yet. But what would you say, um, working with the PE, what freedom or what benefits does that give you running your company? Any main benefits here? Well, obviously, there's a benefit that I mentioned before about having a partner that that cares equally about um, the performance as you do. Yeah. And that also has skills to uh, help on that. So that's one benefit. The other benefit is, of course, the, the funding uh, where um, the role of our partner is essentially to bring us to bridge the sort of uh, the leftovers of our startup, uh, both process, lack of processes, ways of working, um, the people, culture, et cetera, and bridge that into a scale up uh, that is profitable. So that's what we are using essentially that, that initial primary funding for. Yeah. And uh, then the other benefit is to have access to a, um, a, a fund that can help with, with acquisitions. Um, so I think um, but, but, but professional advice, um, operational uh, competences and, and uh, equity. And what's the downsides, the limitations of, of having this setup? Oh, I was waiting for that question. <laughs> it's like, you see how we built up to that? Exactly. Yeah, can we cut here? <laughs> it's like, this is where the date goes wrong. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. Um, and, and I mean, I've, I've been reflecting on this myself. How, how was my job? Uh, how was my everyday life before and now? And uh, obviously, since August, it's been very hectic uh, because our PE has, of course, you know, they know that the, the sooner we do changes, uh, the, the sooner uh, the changes will kick in in a positive way. So there's been a lot of projects and a lot of stuff that we've initiated, which obviously has been impacting my life and, and stress level, but also the stress level of the organization. So I think um, that's, you know, call that negative, uh, a negative impact, but, but it leads to a lot of good things. Uh, so it, it, it infuses a stress and an and uncertainty that either you manage or you don't. And uh, I, I, I like to manage it uh, because I think um, it's positive. All right. But that initial first 100, 200 days, of course, are stressful. Mm. Um, if you're thinking about, you know, Uncle, you know, Big Sam watching you and uh, I don't, I, you know, I, we've always, I've always been reporting to the board. I've always felt accountability towards that. And, uh, right. and here's, uh, here's another composition. I do more frequent and more detailed reporting, yeah. uh, which initially was a bit of the pain because we didn't have the data. Mm. So then you get frustrated about, um, you know, being asked about something you don't have and then that, but, you know, as we now have the data, it's, it's, um, again, coming back to, to transparency for me, that is the key. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they are on, on your side, you know, like you said, like they're part and they, they want you to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. But they have an agenda, of course, they putting a lot of money in, they are majority owners. So what is their end game coming in? 
Yeah, I mean, before I answer that, I don't, I don't think anyone that invests in a, in anything don't have a, a purpose of that investment. So I think, um, in that sense, I don't think PEs are evil, right? They're 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 smart business people that want to make money, of course. But um, uh, you know, they're they're typically uh, they have a, a certain holding period. Uh, typically, uh, they have uh, targets and and also requirements from their back investors to uh, make a certain amount of return uh, so um, whether that's in three four five six years uh, who knows um, and uh, and then we have a shared um, uh, shareholder agenda uh, which uh, relates to the organic growth uh, which relates to acquisitions which relates to internationalization uh, so those are the strategic growth um, topics, and then there is a, uh, a a target that we have around profitability as well. Yeah. So they have very clear targets, and they have very clear expectations. Um, I think they have like an average expectation across their portfolio, mm-hmm. obviously, and then they have specific related to the different portfolio companies. And we haven't actually mentioned it yet, but uh, who did you end up? with uh, after all this dating who was the PE you went with yeah we we ended up with uh, actually a Danish PE um, and um, I initially said hey let's find let's find an American or a British or an international one that can help us be international I know from a Swedish perspective Denmark probably is international but it, but not really it's exotic <laughs> uh, we ended up with uh, with Grow Capital uh, and uh, Grow Capital is um, is a pure B two B SaaS um, PE. Uh, they have about ten other investments. Uh, were and that's also one of the great benefits that I've seen personally, which is that I have uh, ten new friends uh, that do exactly what I do, uh, that have exactly the same challenges as I do, that are a little more mature than I am because they're they're from previous funds. Uh, but that's a huge benefit for me because you know sometimes it can be a little lonely uh, in my job, and and then it's really nice to be able to reach out to others that have exact. And it's the same thing I get for, for, through your network, of course. Right. Uh, but here, you know, peers in, in and also working with the same owner, so a, a lot of benefits there. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean that that makes a lot of sense, and it sounds like you guys are on an interesting journey. And you you already touched upon it a little bit, but. What does the future hold for your business? You know, like if we sit here in two years' time, like what would be the main updates you think that you could share with us? Uh, well, first of all, I hope to have um, acquired a lot more happy customers um, and have been able to spread our our message across uh, larger parts of Europe. Um, I also have a um, continuous ambition to be uh, the company that everyone wants to work in. Uh, we have a very very sort of happy workforce today and positive workforce and for me that's very important the customer and the employee part from a financial perspective which is probably what you're digging after um uh you know we we do want to grow at least 25 30 percent uh, on ar uh, annually um which we almost did last year and um and then uh, in the in the in the strategy, it's also about becoming profitable, like like any other company should be eventually. I think in two years we probably have acquired one or two companies uh, along that journey as well. Um, and um, 
I would anticipate us having having opened a new office uh, somewhere as well. Okay. Lots of stuff happening in your world, Mikkel, over the next two years. Is there anything you need particular help with? There's a lot of brilliant people listening to this, so now is your chance to, to find that helper. Yeah, thanks for asking um, to, to all of you listening out there who have uh, successfully made it from uh, a startup to a scale-up, uh, who have great learnings about what worked, what didn't work, what processes were helping, what processes were not. I'd love to uh, catch a coffee. Excellent. And is there any particular guest that you would be inspired a little bit extra from if we would have him or her on the show or a particular topic you want us to address here? Well, I think since we've, we've, we've spoken about PEs today, I think it would be uh, refreshing to actually uh, you guys interview and, and hear directly from APE. So uh, maybe consider that. Right. Yeah. We'll do that. And then... Let's see if the story adds up from, from the other side as well. But, uh, <laughs> but okay, this, as usual, we, we learned something new today. Uh, really nice to, to have you on the show, Mikkel. And uh, see you at Sassist. Yeah, see you soon. Yeah. Take care now. Bye-bye. Daniel, what's your takeaway from this episode? Uh, it's a general one. You know, you got to know what type of owner you want based on your needs. It's not just capital or maybe in some cases it is just infusion of of capital but I think depending on what type of support you need and support network you need to have access to you know there's certain things you need to identify and basically narrow down on it sounded to me like when Mikkel was thinking about bringing in a PE company or a VC fund or whatever it was that they created their little version of an ICP yeah that fund needed to have you know, fulfill certain criteria, whether it was geo-based or a SaaS experience and so on. And I thought that was clever. You don't want just money, especially not these times. You want access to something else as well, because there's plenty of money out there, like you said. Uh, so I, I, you know, I appreciate that he said that again. What about you, Thomas? I think also Mikkel emphasized in, in, in the end also when it came to benefits, it's, it was the community aspect of it as well. He talked about the portfolio companies that he had a lot of value on. And I mean, that is also what we are seeing in the different networks that we run, the CEO network, the executive network and others, that there is so much that we can learn from each other. And uh, yeah, it's just great that uh, to have those peer-to-peer relationships. Right. And it's also great that you can have that with your owner as well and the portfolio companies that you can have that kind of exchange as well. Hey, actually, Thomas, we never speak about that. What? Where do you go and uh, besides me, obviously? <laughs> Like, to be inspired, like, well, who is your uh, peer-to-peer point destination? Like, who do you go and spar with? You're my peer-to-peer point, then. I know, I know, I know. But, like, do you have, do you draw inspiration for somebody else? Like, is there, you know, somebody you chit-chat with sometimes? Um, well, I have a, I have a few friends that are actually interested in what we are doing. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So shout out to Elia and, and some others, but yeah, th- th- there is a selected few, but I could probably, you know, use more friends to talk to uh, uh, <laughs> as well, because you're so, you know, you're so um, right into all of these things. So uh, you should have time to reflect yourself as well. And um, yeah, I think we need to work on that then. Uh, how about you? Do you have anyone that you can talk to? Um, it's you. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, my wife gets to hear all the things that we are doing and not doing and stuff like that. I'm not sure how much 
how interested she is. Mm. But yeah, I guess she has no choice when we sit at the dinner table. <laughs> and, and just like you, maybe <laughs> I have a very few selected friends that pretend to care what we do. Okay. <laughs> All right, then maybe we will find someone at the event, right? Maybe we... Yeah, yeah exactly. I actually added in the Brella app that yeah, I'm looking to be inspired by some of you. So I, I, I will also start pinging people. Yeah, hook us up. Hook mm. us up. All right, then. Uh, thank you for being with us for this episode. Hope to see you at Sassiest. If you don't have your tickets yet, you can go to sassiest2023.com and get them. And also, if you want to know more about what's happening in the SAS Nordic community world, you can head over to sasnordic.com. There you will find thought leadership articles. You will find information about the different networks and such. With that said, see ya. See you in a week. <laughs>